Welcome to the Unafraid Podcast, hosted on the OKC First Podcast Network. My name is Zach Lucero, and I am the youth and creative pastor here at OKC First. And here with nothing witty to say, just my pal, John Middendorf. Here you go, senior pastor John Middendorf, sitting right next to me. Good to see you, Zach. Always a pleasure. That's great. Here today, we are with uh, author, professor, and editor, uh, James K.A. Smith. Uh, you might You might know him from... Various books such as Desiring the Kingdom or You Are What You Love or On the Road with St. Augustine, but we are super happy to have you here today. Uh, welcome. Yeah, it's great to chat with you guys again. I have uh, such fond memories of my recent visit, so it's uh, fun to connect virtually, although it feels like the world has absolutely changed yes. since the last time I saw you. <laughs> yes. yes. In fact, you know, I, I don't know if there's a coincidence here, but the pandemic kind of started after you were here. So I don't know if you yes. brought that. Yeah, yeah, no, with no, no. You. Uh, it it turns out I have left it in my wake everywhere I've gone. Uh, so yeah, it's a little scary. Well, welcome. We are super glad. Uh, very, very fortunate. Uh, if I was more Christian, I would even say blessed to have you on this uh, <laughs> hashtag podcast <laughs> with us. So thank you, Jamie, for for spending the time with us. Um, you have written some books that have been super influential in our hallways and in our entire congregation. Mm. We've taken, we are in the process of taking another group through you are what you love. Um, oh, fantastic. And that is our, as a church, that's our third group to take through it. Oh, amazing. And um, we have also had some book discussions based on uh, desiring the kingdom and imagining the kingdom. And uh, I've been telling you for a while now that your St. Augustine book, On the Road with St. Augustine, uh, is it, it makes my top five list of, of books that after I finished reading them, I kind of had the temptation to just start back over at the beginning because it, it kind of got wow. me and uh, really helped mm, me. So mm, I'm super glad mm, to have you no, here, buddy. I really appreciate the encouragement. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, we actually have you here today because uh, John and I ran across uh, a tweet of yours from the other day, speaking of the pandemic, uh, and we wanted to kind of kick off the conversation with that tweet where you where you talk about remote worship is revivifying. I think that's what you said, yeah, uh, the re- parish. It said revivifying. Think, yeah, 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 but I think it's pronounced revivifying. Revivifying? Yeah. Is that how that's pronounced? Yeah. I'm not good at words. Revivifying. Augustine, Augustine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just a youth pastor. I don't need to know actual words. It's fine. I don't need to know actual words. No. I communicate in grunts. And it's that fine. Kind of yeah, it's cool. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, just to get us started, I'm going to read the tweet in its entirety. Maybe I shouldn't be the one no, who no, no, you're tweet. good. No, it's cool. Uh, so it's a string of tweets. Uh, buckle up, folks, and uh, let's let's read. So uh, you say while the pandemic is pushing churches to forms of digital slash remote worship, you'd expect this to foster disembodiment, uh, giving license to further excarnation, as Charles Taylor puts it. But I'm seeing the opposite. Remote worship is uh, revivifying the parish. Uh, Let me explain. As everyone worships online, it would be easy for everyone to act like consumers and uh, flit to other um, productions and streams. You can go to church anywhere, in a sense. No doubt uh, some, some are doing that. But I'm also seeing people even more hungry to worship with their congregations. There are thousands of local congregations that no one hears anything about who are in uh, innovating ways to care for their parishioners and embody the specificity and warmth of the community they know, their parish, in digital forms. If these digital platforms were just distributing content, this would, let's be honest, just be a lot of redundancy. But that's not what they're doing. They are trying to recreate communion, the sense of being the body of Christ in place, even while the sinews of that body are stretched by our isolation. The innovation that is happening, then, is often aimed at recreating a sense of being with, worshiping together, the embodied solidarity of being a local congregation. So this trying experience of being distant, separated, remote, could turn out to be a season of learning to be more incarnate community of faith, an embodied located parish. The digital could paradoxically be the a way to renew the local. Explain yourself, sir. <laughs> so much for Twitter being the platform for brevity. That's right. My goodness. This concludes our unafraid podcast for today. Yep, we're done. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I I'd be interested to hear your experiences. So this is this is coming from um 
you know, experiences closer to home. Uh, my wife, Deanna, is the worship elder at our congregation. So she really has borne responsibility for our congregation's response to uh, stay in shel- shelter in place um, uh, requirements. And I serve on the worship committee with her. And what, what just intrigued me, and I, as I heard more, and as she reported from classes meetings and things here, it's interesting that congregations felt a burden not to like do professional, you know, productions of content, but what they were trying to figure out is how can we connect our congregation with one another to God in a way that they feel cared for. And that's why we need to do it. We can't just point everybody to, you know, the National Cathedral is streaming at 11 a.m. on Sunday. Let's all just watch that service and then we'll all be in common because then it, there was this experience of anonymity and, and a sense of being lost. And, and we just felt that people needed to be seen and heard and valued by people who know them and love them and care for them. And so uh, I've been encouraged, I think, you know, I'm sure it's not all a uniform report in terms of what this challenge has done for the church, but I guess I've just seen a lot of things that have made me hopeful that people are, in some ways, it's almost like um, when you don't have the default habit of getting up, getting the kids dressed, going to church at 1030 on Sunday morning, and now you have to choose to sit at your dining room table and participate in this liturgy somehow. It's almost like it raised the stakes of discipleship, it seemed to me, in ways that have been really salutary. But uh, so that's kind of where those that, that stream of reflection was coming from. I'm, I'm not sure if, if your experience affirms that or I want to talk some more about that. Yeah, I, I think it does in a lot of ways. But before I do, Jamie, can you tell us a bit about your tradition and, and a little bit about your local church? Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we're members of, it's called Sherman Street Christian Reformed Church. So the Christian Reformed Church is a small Dutch Reformed denomination. So we're kind of like Dutch Presbyterians is one way that I try to explain it. Hmm. And so we're fairly, we're kind of a mainline tradition. We're sort of a we're compared to a lot of evangelical churches, we would be a kind of quote unquote liturgical church in a sense. Uh, But we also, I guess our own particular congregation is also known in town as the kind of more casual, uh, less, less uh, dot your I's and cross your liturgical T's kind of place. So we are, you know, we have a pretty typical form of worship. Uh, that would characterize uh, Sunday mornings. And to think then about how to translate that into an experience uh, while we're all socially distanced right. and worshiping from our homes was right. the challenge. And and in ways that uh, that others, that, that Deanna and others were more attentive to than probably I was at first too, is what does it look like for children right. uh, to be invested and involved in that? And what does it look like for... Um, people who are single and on their own. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting challenge. Yeah. So um, we are, we have a couple of different congregations that make up the church and one of ours is an early morning liturgical. It's, it's sort of would would feel Anglican, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they have had, um, they were reticent. I, I describe it like this. They were reticent to really lean into the digital platform for anything other than something that would amount to online Sunday school. I, and in, in yeah. fact, some of the yeah. par- parishioners started to say to our elder who, who runs that congregation, Dr. Tashton, Hey, are we going to do our, are we going to do our liturgies? And his first response was, I don't know. I don't know. But then, I mean, there was more and more of an outcry until finally this past week, they did most mm. all of it. And, uh, mm. and, mm. and he even, he's my old New Testament professor, taught me, he, he helped me with my Greek study and all that kind of stuff. I think I still owe him homework, actually. Um, but, <laughs> but he, um, 
he's brilliant. He's brilliant. And it was interesting to hear him just today talk about how meaningful, how meaningful it is. I wonder, here's my question before I tell you a little bit more about our context. I wonder if, if there's a, like a cumulative effect to what you're talking about. Like maybe those aren't the appetites that people had the first 15 minutes, but now that we're a month and a half in, right? Is there, is that? Yes. 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 I think that's exactly right. And I think um, it's one of the reasons why Easter Sunday, the way Easter fell within the pandemic too, yeah, it, it fell at a moment in which I think people were realizing what we missed. Yes. Um, and so, so trying to be newly intentional about what, what did it look like for us in that experience? Up until that point, what we had been kind of doing was sort of distributing the liturgy to people in giving them some links to YouTube of music, and then we would send them audio of a sermon. Do you know what mm-hmm, I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it was, it required um, a lot of initiative to kind of pull it all together as a household or as a family. Whereas on Easter, we finally um, created a sort of unified service without trying to just reproduce a Sunday. We did try to follow the rhythms of it. And the thing that we took seriously was, seeing faces as an expression of warmth and being seen. So I was the church leader. We, we would have just, I would, so I would record, you know, the moment of confession. Do what? Faces, doing the elements, and then we sort of blended them into one video. Uh, that people could sing along with. One cool innovation, and Deanna learned about this from uh, a meeting, uh, uh, what we call a presbytery, we call a classes. They had this cool meeting where um, they suggested finding music of your congregation singing and using that digitally so that when people are singing at home, they are hearing their sisters and brothers sing alongside them, which I thought was a really, really cool idea. And I think people really sort of valued it as they were going. So I think you're right. There is a cumulative effect. I do also think that it, it depends a lot on what a congregation was doing beforehand in terms of what they can lean on and draw upon and assume in this emergency situation. Yeah, yeah. We, we noticed it. I mean, I felt the pressure right off the bat when we knew we were going to have to do some things online. I felt the pressure to do it well. And that was so that was the first couple of weeks. But this past Sunday, you know, we, we don't try to live stream. We're, we, we don't trust the bandwidth in our yeah. city. Yes. yes. So, yeah. so we're, we didn't we didn't either, by the way. We didn't live stream. Either. Yeah. Too dangerous. Uh, so we. So we recorded ahead of time and then we were able to kind of sit down and without that pressure, just sit down and watch it as a family. And we just wept uh, through mm-hmm. our the mm-hmm. Easter liturgy yeah. because we were so keenly aware of what we didn't have in that moment. And yeah. so I wonder yeah. if there is a, almost like a fasting, a rediscovery of fasting in this that will help us to mm. to, to better appreciate what we have. You like that? Yeah, because there could be a sense in which... Um, there can be deepened hungers, yeah. right? And so, uh, and it, I mean, it's so cliche to put it this way, but there is a certain dynamic of absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. there's, there's a, there's a sense of a longing. And so I think it, yeah, it's this dance of both meeting people where they are in their need now in ways that are truly pastorally responsive and can be genuinely community building. Uh, without trying to reproduce the experience of embodied worship, but in a way that deepens the hunger for right. that embodied worship. I mean, it's the same thing. I don't know what you guys are doing with friends, but um, so we probably three nights a week, you know, we connect via Zoom to do Wednesday night wine or cocktail hour with friends or something. <laughs> and and if, if you had asked me beforehand, I would, I would have thought, oh, that's kind of lame or, you know, but it turns out it has been a lifeline. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. It's not the same as sitting on our front porch right there in person where we can share cheese together, but it's, right. it's definitely um, a table in the wilderness. Uh, and so I think churches can be intentional about that. Oh man, that's beautiful. Um, okay. So I kind of want to, I want to, 
pull from this last book that I've enjoyed so much. Um, mm. Tell me how we can best minister to restless hearts while kind of sequestered into our own homes during the pandemic. And maybe I should unpack a little bit, or probably better for you two. The the book no, was no, no, aimed, you go you, okay. The book the book is is aimed. I think I felt like at least it was aimed at restless hearts and the. And the first part of the book tracks Augustine's spiritual development um, and also his life, his life narrative, actually, to kind of explore why it is that a, a guy revered as he is would still have something of a restless heart and would always be looking for something come to find out he probably had what he had been looking for. He just didn't know what to call it. <laughs> but I yeah. see that in myself. I see that in so many of, of my fellow ministers, and I certainly see it. We're very blessed, Jamie, to be a relatively young church, lots of uh, 20-somethings and 30-somethings, and and I see it a lot in them. And I guess if I, if I worry about... And those folks seem to have a greater need for faith to be embodied than some of the other generations. Maybe we all have a need at some point, but those mm-hmm. folks ache mm-hmm. to have, for faith to have skin on it. Help me to better pastor restless hearts during a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's um, this is why I'm the academic and you're the pastor. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it seems to me the hardest part is just how to forge the tactile relationship, yeah. right? Like how can, how can people find you and how can you find them? And I imagine... Uh, it's precisely the lonely that are hardest to find right now. Right. And so in that sense, I do think by both churches and um, pastors and Christians, having a kind of generous, hospitable um, digital presence might be its own missionary endeavor in this regard, right? Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's funny how we almost have to think of mission in a sense of extending our bodily presence into to be able to connect with people when we can't connect in person. And I think uh, we probably need to be more creative about that. I'll, I'll, this, this is a little bit different than what you're asking, but can I tell you a, a, a really, I, I'm just, half of me doesn't want to share this story because I have theological reservations about it, but the other <laughs> half of me is kind of theologically fascinated by it. Okay. So this, so I don't want you to, I don't want you to judge. Okay. But, so one thing we did in our congregation for Easter, and I just want to say for the record, I'm of very much of two minds about this, but we <laughs> did decide to conclude our service by inviting people to celebrate the Lord's Supper yeah, okay. in their homes, having the pastors having led through the, the, the communion liturgy uh, in video. Okay. So I, all your reservations are my reservations. I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> the fascinating thing is that so many of the most of the positive responses to that theological innovation came from people who were either de-churched or had felt distant from Christ for so long, and somehow in the the loneliness of the pandemic got pulled into this service and and encountered Jesus in that experience at this moment in a way that they never would have showed up to church at 10:30 interesting that is so so i'm just that's that's part of what intrigues me is that i do think the the church has to learn to lean in and take some risks and and um, to also realize that I think the deep anxiety that we probably still don't feel permission to let out. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, I think young people in particular uh, um, probably are still experiencing a, a, a register of anxiety and fear and unsettledness, and to um, lament alongside them and to meet them in that seems to me is probably going to be one of those manifestations of the restless heart right now. I mean, in some ways, it's just it's just upending so many of our confidences. Now, you could also say it's breaking down our idols. It, that, that could be, you know, one of the strange gifts that comes out of this. 
our securities are unsettled and that might open us up. It's like one of those cracks in the secular where all of a sudden people realize, oh, I need something else. And I think the question is, what does it look like for the church to be there as people are experiencing that? Can you unpack that one a little bit? I'd like for you to list some of those idols that we are perhaps uh, skewering now, or at least are watching break down a bit. Yeah, I mean, I uh, so this is uh, this is on the fly a little bit, but it seems to me um, security and safety. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I'm all for making the world safe for people. <laughs> but that said, there there is a kind of form of um, a quest and a and an, a presumption of security coming from our ingenuity and power. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is different than trusting one's being secured under the shelter of God's wings, right? That's a different kind of sense of security. And I, I think that's unsettled. I think um, the unsettling of capitalism by all of this right. is is just changing our relationship to stuff and things in accumulation. Um, and I think... Um, autonomy <laughs> is coming in for a real hit when, <laughs> when um, you know, basically you're not allowed to leave. Uh, it's just interesting to think about what freedom means um, yeah. when you're bounded. Now, it turns out, Augusta would say, true freedom is always bounded freedom. So you could you can learn things about yourself in this process. But um, it, it, it's, I, I think... What, what does it look like for the church to be alongside the world as we are all experiencing this unsettling and not, please, God forbid, nobody saying, I told you so kind of oh, man. crap. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Christians are the worst. Sometimes Christians aren't <laughs> the worst. Yes. <laughs> um, but, but instead to come alongside people in solidarity and say, man, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, and, and to just sort of walk alongside, I think it's very, very different than saying, I told you so. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, interesting day to have this conversation when yesterday your state made the national news and ours is soon to make the national news because protesters are saying, we're not going to give up our rights to gather. Tell me, tell me yeah. how you were how you are interpreting that kind of imagery as it floats across oh, your yeah. screen. So I was reading um, one of our Michigan newspapers about that. So this is the, the uh, protest in the Capitol in Lansing yesterday. And, and what's very telling is if you look at the photos and the images of the signs are yeah. overwhelmingly about libertarian autonomy. Do you know what I mean? Don't tread on me. Um, it's it's my freedoms, my rights, my autonomy, my independence, uh, and then you'd sprinkle in Confederate flags in Michigan. In Michigan. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what's going on. So deep in the um, south of no, Michigan, it's, it really is the, the the cult the cult of liberty uh, runs so deep in America, and I, I'm all for. Uh, freedom secured by constitutional democracy. Uh, But that's different than idolizing my independence and autonomy. Um, I I think um, the word of solidarity is the most potent spiritual expression right now. Okay. I'm going to ask you this question, given that answer, as if I am holding you are what you love in front of me. And okay. so I'm going to ask the question, how did we get to that scary point, right, where some of these phrases, um, don't tread on me, the whole yeah. beating the drum for my rights, like how did we get there when, how do we get to a place where those phrases seem to have found a home inside of our, especially inside of our evangelical churches? Like how did we get there? Yeah, I think I think it's partly because um, – we've practiced our way into that because we didn't realize that we were rehearsing political liturgies. So it's interesting, right? I mean, uh, um, that don't tread on me flag with the serpent and all like, I mean, it, 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 that whole vision of libertarian autonomy has its own symbols, rituals, 
stories, right? And 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 there's um and and let's be honest, there are certain um, television stations and news channels that that beat the drum of that song. And if people are drinking that up eight hours a day, um, that's your liturgy. That's 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 what's shaping you and forming you. So I think it's mostly a kind of unconscious, surreptitious formation of our imagination that we didn't even realize was going on. And that political liturgy overwrites whatever Christian participation that we might have given ourselves over to. Yeah. How do we, how do we um, recover from that? Undo it. Yeah. 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 Prayer and fasting. Um I mean, I, I think the beginning of it is um, just inviting people. You, you know this. This is kind of my shtick, but I do think it looks like inviting people to see the their liturgical immersion that they didn't realize, yeah. right? The unconscious ways that they're doing things that are doing something to them, right? And, uh, and then now I do also think there has to be a truly prophetic moment of this too, where we also just have to call out and name the antithesis between certain performed American stories of the good life and the biblical vision of the good life. So I don't, I, I don't think you can just have a sort of what about here, or I don't think you, there's just a, there's a comfortable, um, well, we've all got our problems. No, no, no. There's there's very specific, yeah. trenchant uh, stories about human flourishing that are particularly captivating in our context, and we need to name those. And you and you need to do the hard exegetical work, probably, of laying out just why that's intention with a biblical vision of what flourishing looks like. Do you think we can undo it or worship our way out of it? While still surrounded by, I'm now I'm going to a different book. <laughs> while still surrounded by um, cathedrals like the malls around us, and you know, it strikes me that banks use more marble than churches do now. That kind of thing. yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, um, I don't. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a very good question. It's a very fair question. I think maybe there needs to be um, strategic abstention, hmm. but I don't think it can be total abstention. So maybe another way of putting it is, I don't think the Benedict option is a solution. Right. Uh, I think I think something like total separation. Church- is what you mean by that? Right, 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 and just sort of like creating our own Cloister. now subcultural mm-hmm. version of it. Mm-hmm. Instead, I think this is one of the places where I think the church's liturgical calendar becomes a gift. Because if you think of it, the rhythms of the liturgical calendar are sort of fasting and feasting, fasting and feasting. Mm. And if you think of that as also a rhythm of where we practice our identity. So I think as Christians, we are called to serve our neighbors and to be uh, centered in Christ for the sake of the world. Um, so I don't think I have the luxury of being able to build my ark and float away to my safe little holy lake. Um, uh, but I do need to center myself in Christ and the city of God. And so I think the seasons of the church are one way. And so fasting Maybe another form of fasting we need to talk about are strategic abstentions from our utter cultural immersion in certain kinds of institutions, not so that we leave them entirely. See, my my concern is if you just evacuate cultural institutions, um, the enemy is happy to fill the vacuum. Do you know what I mean? And now you're leaving your neighbors... Uh, to an even more rapacious capitalism or, or right. whatever it might be. That's By right. the way, I, just to flag, I, I'm actually not anti-capitalist. I'm anti-crony capitalism. Yeah. Um, but I think markets do actually a lot of good work too. Um, so yeah, I think it's complicated. There's no easy solution. I, I think it starts by the renewing fire has to start in the church. 
and um, it looks like new intentionality and probably discomforting prophetic calls and then leaning out into the world uh, with eyes wide open. Let me ask you a really tough liturgical question here. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Is what you've just said then even possible without a weekly Eucharist? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Uh, and, uh, the irony being that my own tradition is ambiguous about that, but our own local congregation is, is sort of convinced otherwise. So yeah, I, I agree that, uh, to me, the reason why the historic church always culminated worship in that table is because it is the most tactile, intense yeah. recapitulation of the gospel story that gets into our bones. Right. And, um, which is exactly why the early Protestant reformers agreed with that. Right. So around in my parts, I always emphasize, you know, John Calvin thought we should be having weekly Eucharist. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I agree. Oh, I just man. don't also, I also don't want to overestimate how much that can accomplish either. So I think it's a necessary, but probably not a sufficient condition. It probably also is something that has a cumulative effect, right? I think so. I think that's right. And you, and you have to invite people to understand why we do what we do when we worship. So I think liturgical catechesis has to walk alongside the work that worship does in and of itself too. Mm. Man, it's good to have you here, buddy. We're not done. I'm just want. I just <laughs> feeling it right now. I'm just feeling. <laughs> We're not done. No, this is great. I'm enjoying it. I am too. Hey, what are what have been uh, some of your favorite creative innovations? You talked about some of the stuff that your church has done, but like as you've kind of looked off into the internet world, what have been some of your favorite things that you've seen? I mean, they're fairly. They're fairly uninteresting and boring ones, but I'll say like. Um, I mean, I love that churches are, they're not just trying to figure out how can we do this big production. They're saying, okay, we've got this Zoom platform. We don't want to just see the pastor and hear from the pastor. How can we meet one another? And so um, congregations that are doing these virtual coffee hours after worship. So Mm. yes, we all in common watch uh, or, you know, participate in worship together, but like, I want to see my sisters and brothers that I haven't seen. And so they've been creating these virtual coffee hours where you sign in and every five minutes it kind of re-scrambles who's quote unquote in the room and you get to see new sisters and brothers that you (laughs) haven't seen for three weeks. It's really, really fun. Um, uh, another thing that we do, and I, I'm I'm not holding us up as an example. I'm just like these were, these are testimonies, I guess. Yeah. So another thing that Deanna suggested was for Palm Sunday, uh, what we our congregation would always start Palm Sunday with all these little kids coming in and doing their hosannas with mm-hmm. the palm branches, and mm-hmm. people love that. <laughs> and let's not underestimate how much the kids are being invited into the story. Right? That this. Oh, we're a people who worship a king who rides a donkey. That that's peculiar. That's weird, right? Yeah. And but it's a very tactile form of worship. So, uh, Deanna suggested, well, why don't we, why don't we deliver the t- palm branches to all the kids at home? We'll go leave. You know, we won't see anybody or contact anybody. We we just so we and a few of us we got our list. We took our palm branch, you know, sheaves of palms, and then we would put them on the front porch. And then we asked families to like do little videos or pictures of their kids doing the palm branches. And then we compiled them into a video. And that was the prelude to worship that week. I mean, it's, it sounds kind of corny maybe if you just describe it, but people were weeping uh, (laughs) when they, when they could see that. Um, uh, I think, uh, I don't know enough about this, but I also think one of the things that has really, um, impressed me are those congregations that are being very attentive to uh, their seniors and especially people in nursing homes Mm -hmm. and so on at this time. So what, what chaplaincy uh, is required to do? Uh, I I know, um, I don't know if you guys saw the New York times piece on Sunday that was about all the priests in Bergamo, Italy. Hmm. 26 priests have died in Bergamo, Italy, since this began. But that's because they are all willing to serve on the front lines of care. 
Um, it's really, really powerful. I have to say, I think one of the most powerful voices in all of this, I don't know if this is weird for your audience, but I think Pope Francis um, has consistently bore witness to how the church should be for the sake of the world at this time. Yeah. And, and I think probably one of the most moving things I saw was a lone Pope Francis, you know, uh, in St. Peter's Square, yeah. still bearing witness to the power of the gospel. Um, it was a really um, yeah. heartbreaking, but also inspiring in the same way. Uh, okay, well, let me ask you the the other side of the coin, uh, where that question yeah. is concerned. What What would you like to see us leave behind? Once we're able to gather again, mm. what of this era mm. would you like to see us leave behind and not take with us? What a great question. Is that something you've thought about? Um, yes, because I, I, we have, again, Zach's done such a real, such a nice job and we're putting together a quality experience for lack of a better term, uh, for folks online. But I, but I have for years now been very concerned about what I'm, what I'm calling the, in, the increased, uh, propensity of the church to move toward two dimensional worship and two dimensional mm. faith as opposed to three mm. and four dimensional worship and faith. And, um, and so I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm not a hypocrite, a, but, yeah. but I also remain concerned about liturgy that is two dimensional and faith that ends up being two dimensional. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious, what would you like yeah. As a theologian yeah. philosopher, what would you like to see us leave behind as we take some of the best of this experience with us? Yeah, yeah. I think one thing that probably worries me, and it, it depends on how churches are fostering worship on Sundays, but I, I do worry a little bit that it could turn us into fairly passive worshipers. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. we are, yeah. uh, and so I, I think now, I think there are already things that we can do to guard against that in the meantime. So we're not building bad habits in that regard, but I, I think the sort of slick packaged um, version of this, that, in which we all just sit back and watch yeah. and check our box that we quote went to church on Sunday, that that's going to start building habits of passivity uh, that we will have to leave behind. And instead, what I would like to see is churches being creative right now, how to elicit activity from uh, uh, home worshipers in the meantime. And I, I think some of that is happening. I'm trying to think, it's a really interesting question. I don't, I don't have a great answer to it just because I haven't thought about it as much as you have, but I think. That was um, a great answer. Yeah, we had to, we had okay. our early conversations uh, at the start of this whole thing. We had to, we had to talk through, even putting caps on ourselves in a sense of how much we wanted to do and how much and how elaborate we wanted to make it. And then we've done this for the last four weeks and, and John and I sat at his house on Saturday night watching the Easter service and kind of reflecting back on an Easter recording where that took hours longer than it really needed to uh, due to a lot of circumstances, but we ended up running multiple takes of everything and people would, whenever they'd mess up, they would stop and then we would go back and we'd run it again. And, and sort of we, the conversation was um, centered around, well, one, I was like, I think we need to have some more fun uh, next week, but also um, we're sort of losing that uh, we would never do this on a Sunday morning. Like, like if right. we were yeah. live, we would yeah. never stop and then take it again because uh, that yeah. would be really no, no, exactly. weird. <laughs> yes. Like somebody yes. yelling "cut" yes. would be kind of weird. Yes. Um, and so, and so, yeah. I, I mean, for us, we're we're having to talk through those things too. We're scaling back quite a bit from what we did over Easter because we want to get back to, and we don't want to condition our folks into um, expecting a. Um, yeah, a, a, polished, pre, a product. polished product. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, because in my mind, I mean that yeah. that just breeds consumerism and and all the all those words. Totally, it's funny. You're reminding me of um, John Ruskin was a 19th century art critic. I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but he wrote this amazing work called The Stones of Venice, in which he argued that Gothic architecture in Venice and Northern Europe was sort of the pinnacle of human creativity because every single facet of Notre Dame, whatever it might be, was was um, handcrafted, and but and wasn't made by machines. And the irony is, he says, the beauty of everything being handcrafted was its imperfections. 
because mm. it bore the, the thumbprint of human beings. That is beautiful. Whereas the machine, the mass machine produced uh, might have been quote unquote perfect, but was um, unhuman. Uh, you know, it was it was irreal. It wasn't. Uh, and I think you're right. I, I worry about um, a certain slickness setting in even in terms of our own expectations where we lose the humanity of now I'm in this respect, I'm really grateful. We have, we have two pastors, a husband and wife team, co-pastors. I'm amazed at their ability to be comfortable looking at a camera, doing sermons for us and retain their humanity. Do you know what I mean? Like just yeah. be, and they're, they're like super, down to earth and you know pastor jen will be will be preaching from her kid's bedroom because it's the only quiet place and she'll like grab a marker and a pen and give you and and it's that kind of um imperfect uh right. messiness is its own gift that i think we want to keep taking to our congregation totally yeah. agree and i worry that i love what you said about passive uh, you know, the parishioner who would passively receive, like, I kind of want to ask our people to take some unpolished video of them singing along. And I would, I would yeah, love yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to, to yes, see them singing yes. along with, cause I noticed in our house, while we were still weeping through the liturgy, we watched you guys sing mm. rather than yeah. singing along. Interesting. And I don't yeah, want to no, tattle, but I was the only one who stood up for the hallelujah chorus that was played by <laughs> our... Uh, well, Drew was asleep, so... Well, that's my teenage son. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. One more thing about the pandemic, then we'll move on, because you have some other projects you're working on that we really want you to talk about, because I, again, would like to expose our people to stuff that you're working on. St. Augustine, um, you've spent yeah. years now... Um, what would St. Augustine have to say to us trying to navigate and even lead people as they navigate faith during a pandemic? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think um, this is going to sound a little weird maybe, but one of the things that really strikes me in Augustine is the role that suffering plays. Yeah. And I think I'm struck by this because I think as Protestants, we don't really have a, a super integral theology of suffering as part of our spirituality. Whereas Augustine thinks um, to suffer is a sign that you're carrying the cross you're called to carry. And, and what that mostly looks like, it's not like self-flagellation. It's not like, oh, I wish my, it's actually suffering for the sake of others. So I, I actually think it's that word of solidarity again, yeah. that there's this deep sense of being called to the neighbor, right? To love God and to love our neighbors and what it looks like to love your neighbor in a pandemic. Well, ironically, in, it, to love your neighbor is to keep your distance, <laughs> yeah. which is a crazy, crazy um, upending of our expectations. And yet once you understand why, you realize, oh, okay, so that's actually what it looks like to be a good Samaritan right now. Um Whew. But I think Augustine also would just constantly want us to be attuned to those um, who are most vulnerable right. during this great unsettling. I, I mean, I think we probably all have to, certainly probably the three of us, but my my life is, I'm an egghead academic on sabbatical. My life has changed hardly at all. Do you know what I mean? I still get up in the morning, come sit at my desk read books, write things, you know, there, there's a certain sense in which the, the, um, not that I don't miss my friends and things, but I, I think, uh, I'm always worried that I, I still don't adequately appreciate the risks that are being taken. There's a young woman from our church, um, who is a nurse and teaches nursing at Calvin university where I teach. And, even though she's still teaching her classes online, she's also signed up and she's serving at the field hospital that's set up in Central Park right now. That's, that's Jesus following, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. here I am. Oh, what's my great service? I'm doing a podcast to talk about the church. <laughs> she's like suited up um, answering the call. I, I'm just incredibly humbled. And I, I think we should be telling the stories of those saints. Oh, I love that. 
Okay, can I bounce a couple of ideas off of you? Because I, I, a couple of things we're wrestling with, and you get a chance here to go thumbs up, thumbs down on um, ideas okay. that we are considering here. So I've, I feel some pressure. I don't know if that's the right word. Maybe it's just responsibility. You shouldn't call it pressure, to, to especially during the season of Easter now, to help mm-hmm. our people to imagine, even during a pandemic, that there are signs of hope in life. And yeah. so we are, we are... In, we are in collaboration with an online photography uh, store, and they've given us a, a healthy gift certificate, and we're going to have a competition. Now, maybe this is where the Christian part breaks down a bit, but we're going to actually <laughs> <laughs> ask people from wherever, any corner of the world that wants to send in a picture. But the, the theme is signs of hope during a pandemic. Mm. And then we're going to – do you do you like that? I or love is it. that I love it. I love it. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I do think the distinction between Christian hope and optimism, right? Yes. <laughs> Christian hope is the, 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 oh, uh, um, this makes me think of a line. So I, I recently reread with my son. Uh, we reread Albert Camus' The Plague. Mm. Lots of people have been talking about this novel, The Plague. Yeah. And it really is jarring to read it now. And there's this, this scene in which these, this doctor and another guy who are just basically sacrificing themselves to attend to the sick and w- bearing the weight of all of how horrible this is. They go swimming. This is happening in northern North Africa, in Algeria. And they, they finally find a way to go for a swim one night. And they experience this little blip of happiness. And the line that describes it is, a happiness that did not forget anything. Do you Mm. mean like it was a happiness that forgot nothing insofar as it wasn't like happy, clappy, let's pretend escapist happiness. It was happiness in the face of, in spite of, uh, um, alongside the suffering. And I think that's what Christian resurrection hope always looks like. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm taking that as a thumbs up. Okay. Here's a harder (laughs) one. I love it. Um, I think as we gradually re-enter life, like I, I my my senses around here, and probably also in in Michigan, unless the gun-toting whack jobs that are on the steps of the Capitol have their way out there. Pardon my French, um, but I think will it be a gradual reopening? But let's say we can only gather a hundred at a time for some time. Mm. It mm. feels like in order to to um, stay faithful to the, to the gospel mandate where the least of these are concerned, it feels like we'll have to have something akin to a, a TSA pre-check before folks <laughs> gather. <laughs> Is there a way, Jamie, to, to understand that part even liturgically? Oh, that's fascinating. You're way ahead of me here. That, that's that's a really interesting question. I mean, wh- why are those opening chapters of the book of James coming to mind here, which is um, who gets to come up front? Yeah. The ones you least expect. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting, it's a real, I agree with you. I don't know what the liturgical expression of that will be, but I, I agree that the um, theologically it has to be thought about. Absolutely. I was just saying to Zach, I'm hoping that that pre-check can be cast liturgically or at least theologically as part of what it means to be a part of the body. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that, I, I'm really intrigued. I want to hear how this develops because I think you're right that um, I have no idea what the possibilities are, but I think you're right that there could even be um, – rhythms of reflection on the possibility that that are that have a kind of performative aspect not to show something but to to participate in the story like like are you saying if only a hundred people can come to church on sunday part of it is deciding who's there mm-hmm. well yeah. what we're saying and, is- and what would it look like what would be the power of even those who can't gather nonetheless somehow surrounding. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Like what, what, if, what is it? So you have people in the parking lot in their cars, socially distanced, 
listening, but there's still an expression of a kind of giving way for some and a communion of saints uh, that surrounds us. I don't know. It's a really interesting question, John. I haven't thought about it at all. The, th- the thought is we're not sure yet when such an order will come. I know they're exploring this as an option on the West Coast already. Um, mm-hmm. But even if we were to be given that kind of freedom, if we were to be true to the mandate, again, to care for the most vulnerable, so the immunocompromised yes. or the, the elderly, yes. we would want to take everybody, including those groups, through some sort of a a mechanism whereby we can ask simple questions, maybe take a temperature, um, ask questions about symptoms, that kind of thing, maybe even help people to know what resources are available should someone in their household or a neighbor with whom they've been in contact. Like we can help you to get some of these resources in hand. Maybe mm-hmm. we take a look at their iPhones. If we all do this tracing thing that they've done in other countries, then maybe we, they, they let us help them with their mm-hmm. Android or their mm-hmm. iPhones. And we say, yeah, mm-hmm. this is communal responsible citizenry, especially for those of us who are under this banner of Christ. And then we seat them in the sanctuary, but we seat them, our ushers seat them safe distances apart, that kind of thing. And people know when they come through the doors for that experience that there is a chance. There's a chance that they'll be asked to, for the purposes of covenantal living, to go home. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, I like that framing of covenant, too. I think that's powerful. You know, I don't know if if you guys have these in your part of the world, but uh, in, in mainline traditions, there's been some growth of a movement called parish nursing. Oh, love it. And I feel like this is one of those places where um, I'm totally just thinking off the top of my head, but I do wonder if it's one of those spaces where this community of parish nurses have wisdom about what does it look like uh, to care for a community covenantally in this regard. Yeah. It's a fascinating question. That is a great, term and a great concept that Zach is already looking up. We'll explore it. I <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really Yeah. It's a cool thing. You know, the last church I saw do something like that was an African American church here in town. And they they had a whole medical staff which starts it's to make sense. It's such a um it's informed by a very holistic conception of the gospel. Yeah, it makes me wonder um, if that's if that's one of the changes that comes out of this right. is the understanding for the need to have parish nurses or have medical staff on staff at a church for not just pandemic work, but for for all of the wellness all checks. the needs, wellness checks as a way of better loving our neighbors. Man. Yeah, which is which sounds a lot like recovering pretty ancient streams of the church, uh, which which gave which gave rise to hospitals. You know, yeah, yeah. I love it. You've been super generous. We we want to make sure, Jamie, that you have a chance to to talk to us about some things you're working on, what you're excited about right now. Yeah, I'm. Uh, a lot of my time is actually taken up with not really a side hustle, but it's uh, um, <laughs> outside of my university obligations, which is a, I'm editor in chief of a quarterly journal called image, which is this gorgeous, fantastic uh, magazine of faith and art. Actually the tagline is art, faith, mystery, and it collects um, fiction poetry, creative nonfiction, visual arts, some reviews of novels and things like that. And it's just, um, it's, it's really life-giving and it's something I'm more convinced of than ever in this moment, because I think the imagination is what we will need to, to make our way forward in hope. And so, yeah, that's image journal is uh, sort of my investment in the imagination and trying to come alongside artists and writers in that regard. I'm just starting to um, work on a new book. took me a long time after the Augustine book to know, to discern what was um, next for me, but it looks like it's going to be a book called when are we? Mm. And it's, it's trying to help the church think about the dynamics of time and history as a feature of discipleship. I think, I think um, North American Christians are really flat-footed in understanding when we are. Like, I don't think we understand the way history works and the way the snowball effect and accumulation of 
the past affects us. But I also think we don't think enough about, say, the seasons of a Christian life, right? right. Like, what does mm-hmm. it mean to take seasonality seriously? So it's I, it's still percolating for me. I'm just uh, getting going on it, but I, I'm feeling kind of excited about it. Is that an eschatology? In some ways, it, yes, absolutely. It's in some uh, in, in maybe the ultimately it's what I'm going to call a practical eschatology. Okay. Like what difference would it make uh, if we, we, if we actually lived out of our eschatological conviction? So we don't try to live ahead of time, right? Mm-hmm. You don't try to impose kingdom come. Um, and yet at the same time, uh, you do live in hope and you're sort of laboring for the sake of that coming kingdom and you're trying to embody foretastes of that. I also think it changes how we think about the sins of our past. Mm. Uh, what what does it look like to truly understand that probably every nation has an original sin? You know, our our original sin is slavery. Mm. Uh, it's It's baked in. Uh, and what does it mean for us to really take seriously the cumulative effects of that um so that's why i think it's both i think we both need to think in more nuanced ways about our past and about our future uh and so i'm trying to work that out a little bit so when when can we expect this one oh that'll be <laughs> i'm trying to slow down my writing a little bit that'll probably be um 2022 Oh my! Uh, okay. I will probably submit it in 2021. Uh, I'm just finishing up a book right now that nobody will care about. It's the total egghead academic book uh, <laughs> on, on philosophy of religion. Uh, so, uh, but I'm, I am a, a scholar, and I have to kind of keep my credibility. So I have to do university press book, and then a book that somebody cares about, and that's sort of the way my life goes. Wow! Yeah. Okay, so if folks wanted to, I'm sorry, Zach. No, no, no. If folks wanted to order your books, is Amazon the best way, or do you have a different way for folks to kind of look through? Do you have a personal website or something like yeah. that? Um, yeah. No, it's. I mean, I have a website, but Amazon is fine. I also also love to give a plug. Uh, a dear friend of mine who's a bookseller named Byron Borger has a bookstore called Hearts and Minds Books in Dallas Town, Pennsylvania, and uh, he's doing great work. Uh, I'd also recommend Eighth Day Books in Wichita, Kansas. Warren Farah is a dear friend. So I always, yes, you can find everything on Amazon, but if you want to uh, help some uh, dear saints who are laboring uh, in the Lord's vineyards, uh, I'd recommend both those places. <laughs> Could you please tell the guy who read, I listened to Saint, the St. Saint Augustine book, and uh, would you please tell the man who read that book for you, thank you from the, the bottom of my imagination. He helped me. <laughs> <laughs> the audio book? Yeah. Yeah. So that is Michael Page, who we go to church with uh, and who's a dear, he and his wife are, are dear, dear uh, um, uh, friends of ours. Uh, and and can you imagine? He reads the scriptures for us at church. It's like God himself is just speaking right <laughs> Fantastic. How do we? It's the British accent. Yes, absolutely. I don't know why it is that British accents make everything more like true. so if i wanted to subscribe to this image journal um yeah how would i do that and in fact there's if you go to imagejournal.org uh and click on subscription you should find if people are interested in our new subscribers we're also offering 40 percent off uh new subscriptions right now we've also for the sake of the pandemic we've taken down our paywall on the website so you can read all over the place oh, right wow. now okay. uh, get a get a taste cool. for it that was one little way of trying to sort of uh share with the community as everybody's sequestered and, and looking wow. to fill their time so yeah I mean, but we'd love to have new readers if you'll send us one then we'll start peddling around here too um, yeah, for absolutely real. we'll Happy do that do that all yeah, right Zach. yeah jamie we we before we get to rapid fire we always end on hope and you kind of dabbled in it a little bit earlier uh so i'm just going to ask you the question where do you see hope in the midst of where the heck we're at right now hmm. um i see hope in young people i see hope in the young people who are choosing their friends over success and are choosing place over prestige. 
Uh, I'm I'm really encouraged by a younger generation who give up the the opportunity to climb the proverbial ladder because they've got relationships that are more important to them. I, I think my generation has a lot to learn from mm. that. Wow. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Really grateful that you came on. And uh, if you wanted to be a monthly guest, we would work that out somehow. If you want to do that, <laughs> just a hang. No, this has been great fun. Yeah, great right. fun. Thank you. Well, let's uh, let's get to America's favorite segment: rapid fire questions. Uh, we have not prepared you ahead of time for this. We will no. just pull stuff. I'm slightly nervous. Yeah, we'll just pull stuff right <laughs> out of the top of our heads, and uh, we'll let you know. Age, age will go first before beauty, and uh, or before beard. Okay. Do you play a musical instrument? Um, slightly complicated answer, but I just two days ago picked up again my banjo. I bought oh, a banjo yeah. like ten years ago. Tried to start learning it, gave up, and then uh, I decided one of the ways I'm going to redeem the pandemic is uh, trying to learn my banjo again. So Fantastic. I'm trying to learn. Nice. I love that. Yeah. What's your yeah. favorite thing to play on the banjo? What's your favorite song right now? Peace. Right now, my, my my favorite thing to play are the chords that my video YouTube <laughs> teacher is. So that's as far as I've got. That's cool. That's as far as I've got. If you were to come into a significant sum of money and with that sum of money were to buy a boat, like a, like a giant boat of some kind, you would name it what? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a great question. Um. Sales out, nails out. <laughs> that might be my favorite one. Do you, God, so do you watch? Do you watch Succession on HBO? I haven't. I've never. always uh, thought it's about a, starting it's a, it. Not recommending it. It's definitely mature audiences, but that's an inside joke to that show. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I've got to preface this one with uh, there are certain things that make me irrationally angry. Uh, like when I am carrying like a load of laundry without a laundry basket and socks just start falling off and like I bend down to grab one and another one falls off and then I just kind of get angry and maybe shout words. Wow. What things make you irrationally angry? Uh, the list is longer than I want it to be. I'll, I'll just pick one, which is slow drivers in the left lane. Yes, man. Mm. Yes. Help him, Lord. I'm with you right. there. Preach. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, let's say that <clears throat> you have, um, I don't know, it's a banjo or guitar, but there's a song, and, and maybe you have uh, seen growing up that when a performer gets just hyped enough, he will just smash that guitar or just smash that. What is the song that's most likely to have you smash a guitar over something? Like you get so out of, hyped. Out of... Sheer hype, sheer hype. Uh, um, Ain't Going Down Till the Sun Comes Up by Garth Brooks. Wow. Okay. Man, that's a good <laughs> that's Oklahoma. Just, I'm giving you guys an Oklahoma reference. <laughs> that was really good. That's an upset in my book. Right I there. love that song. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's phenomenal. I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, it's great. No, that's it's good. good. I like the pandering. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I was to create a James K.A. Smith uh, trap that was supposed to like capture you, what would be the bait for that trap? Ooh, what a great question. Oh, um, a fast car. Fast mm. car. Any specific car you're thinking? Um, probably a BMW M series, or I could probably get suckered by a Porsche Carrera. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, Zach has one of those. I, speed I, speed I is kind of my thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I drive a truck. That's like okay. the opposite of a Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last one for me. Zach may have one more, but what is the, the pet name you have for your wife that she just assumed you not tell us? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I don't really, I call her Smitty. That works. Uh, you know, our last name's Smith, and yeah, I call right. her Smitty. But I don't think she'd be particularly. Uh, yeah, I don't have a. That's a good question. I'm just you think of one, you can send it later, and we'll add it yeah. on to the podcast. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thrilled. I'm just thrilled that I don't have to bleep it out. Yeah. 
That's not yeah. would be the first time. Uh, one last question. What would be the most human name you would name a cat? The most human name? Yeah. Um, uh, I hate cats. Uh, <laughs> pick, pick someone you don't like then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeffrey. Jeff- Jeffrey. Oh, yeah, that's a great cat. one. Jeffrey, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here, Jeffrey. Man, yeah. this has been great. Um, hey, this has been fun. Yeah, we, we really... We really are indebted to you. You've made a mark on our church, and we're very appreciative. Oh, and so uh, we need to get you down here more often. And well, it's fun to feel like I have uh, a relationship to your congregation, and sort of I can picture where you are and who's there and things. So yeah. it's uh, it's fun yeah. to connect again. Yeah, let's keep in touch. Let's do, and uh, we'll get you back down here, and and we'll feed you well and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, in the meantime, please tell Miss Smitty that we said hello and thanks for the time and hanging there with I that will. banjo. Thanks, man. All right. Yes, I'll bring it next time. Thanks okay. so much. Sounds Blessings. Good. See ya. See you, buddy. See ya. Bye.